Ministry Mentorship, Episode 10. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministries. In this interview, we're going to be talking with former missionaries and pastor Sam and Joyce Latta. They've done a great work overseas and now they're back home in the States ministering. And we had them recently at our church and it was an honor to speak with them and just hear the insight and listen to some of the stories that they told. I know that you're going to be blessed as you hear this interview. Let's join the conversation now. Okay, we're here today with Brother and Sister Latta, and they are uh, formerly missionaries. They're retired, and they're, they're, they've joined us today, and we're so thankful. Uh, Brother Latta, thank you for joining us. Sister Latta, we're glad you're here. That's quite all right, my brother. We're delighted to be here with you. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. About ourselves. Well, we uh, spent 19 years in Africa and then 10 years as international evangelist. And so we were missionaries for 29 years. Joyce and I have been married 58 years, and we have four children. We have eight grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. We graduated from uh, Apostolic Bible Institute in St. Paul, Minnesota, and received a Doctor of Theology from the University of Monroe, Louisiana. And we have started a lot of churches and have built 13 physical buildings in our lifetime. So that uh, about sums us up. <laughs> I just wish I was a little younger, I'd still be overseas. Mm-hmm. Now, I just found out tonight, we just talking, I found out that the Laddas also knew my grandparents and had stayed in their home, so that's really a, a neat thing. Now, Brother and Sister Ladda, when did you first feel the direction of God towards missions? Oh, boy. I think I began to feel... Uh, the Lord, uh, for that, when I first got the Holy Ghost, when I was 15 years old, uh, God put a heavy burden for the ministry, and I started preaching when I was 15. And every time I got around anything had to do with missions, uh, I was in it. I, I wanted it in my life. And uh, I, I believe it fell on me when I was 15 years old that I would one day be on the foreign field. Wow. Sister Lair? <clears throat> well, I always wanted to go as a missionary to Africa, but I didn't tell anybody. And so um, I remember one lady in the church, one, and I didn't tell anybody, but a lady in the church told my pastor, I think the Lord is calling Joyce Phillips to um, be a missionary. And so I thought it was just me. Maybe I just, you know, thought I should, and I didn't really know for sure, until uh, my husband's family moved from Arkansas to Illinois when we were both teenagers, and uh, we both ended up in St. Paul, Minnesota, at the same time to go to Bible college, not knowing the other one was coming. And we went together one week and got engaged, 
We had known each other distantly for five years. Before he asked me to marry him, he said, would you go with me to Africa? So it confirmed it. But we were married 10 years, had our four children in five years before God called us. But during those years, he was getting us ready. And we looked back later and saw for 10 years, God would be getting us ready. We could adjust to anything so that when we actually went, we already was ready. So he was getting us ready. Now, what obstacles did you face when you were first starting out in ministry as that as a 15 year old young man and, and sister lad as a young girl? Uh, what were some of the the obstacles that you faced? Well, I could sum it up by saying probably inexperience. And uh, there was a lot of fear connected with it in the actual work of the ministry. Uh, I could do a, a lot of things uh, in the work of the Lord. But uh, when I was first beginning to preach, I experienced a lot of anxiety and fear and and it was based on inexperience. Uh, I think that was probably my biggest enemy when I began my ministry. But I soon outgrew it and it became kind of natural. And you have to have a real hunger for God and reach out for Him and He will put the anointing there. Well, I was always kind of shy. <laughs> and so um, my husband, when we got married, said, you're gonna sing with me. I played the accordion, he played the guitar, and we actually sang together. And he helped me get over a lot of the shyness. But I was never a public speaker. I was always um, kind of in the background, supporting him and raising our children, teaching them their schooling in Liberia. So that kept me busy, but I always loved God with all of my heart and just wanted to be in his will, whatever it was. And uh, kind of afraid, but I got over being afraid by being married to him. I had to learn everything the hard way. I was not a preacher's daughter. I just had to learn, and God helped me and taught me a lot. I'll tell you what, she learned. This lady is one of the greatest missionaries, wives anybody could ever have, and I thank God for her. This girl taught all four of our children and all their grades. And we lived uh, right next door to the airport, right along our street, paralleled the runway. And of course, our only way of getting around was with uh, the aircraft. And I flew a lot of hours over that bush in Liberia. And uh, she climb in that airplane, put all four of those children in, and we'd we'd go. I'd take them out once a month, but uh, I figured I needed to keep them in touch with civilization, because uh, where we were stationed that first year, we were 65 miles back in the jungle from the nearest road, and that was a dirt road, and just wild animals and everything around us. And uh, she was a brave little girl, and she'd, she'd, I could never have asked anyone to be what this girl was. And I thank God for my darling wife. We've been married 58 years, and uh, if I could get a divorce from her tonight, I'd make a date with her first thing in the morning. I appreciate her more than I can tell her. <laughs> Turn that that's great. No, leave <laughs> that's it in great. there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, 
Sister Latta, you mentioned this, and, and even Brother Latta, you kind of alluded to it, but that God was preparing you, mm-hmm. that you could look back and you could see that, that God had His hand on you. And I think there's sometimes that, as young people, we're in a situation and we, we feel like we're just kind of standing still or not really really connected like we need to be. And then talk about that feeling and how, how God showed you that He was preparing you. Well, the first church we ever pastored was Cesar, Illinois. And uh, we had one child. We had our second child. When she was eight days old, a tornado came through. 150 mile an hour wind took the whole front of our house. So we had to go live with church people. After that, we tried to get a church started in Alabama and almost starved to death down there. <laughs> and so after that, we passed a church in Rice Lake, Wisconsin and almost froze to death up there. Finally, we came to Moline, Illinois, lived in a three-room house with our four children for five years with no bathroom and made a sacrifice while he built a new church in Moline, Illinois. The kids had every childhood disease there were so that we didn't have to worry with that. And then uh, God was calling us to go to Africa. And so we had gone through all those experiences where we could adjust to different things. And we knew what it felt like to be abased and to abound. And, um, you know, when the Lord is by your side, you don't have to worry. So getting us ready. Wow. That's Where the Lord says despise not the day of small things. And we went through a lot of those uh, situations she was referring to. But God can take a little bitty seed and make a giant strong tree out of it. And we are not wasting our time, whatever we're doing in the work of the Lord. We try not to work for Him, but we want to partner with Him and make sure that we are obedient to His voice and doing what He wants us to do. He is running this program, and we're just very happy that we can be a part of it. But we, after a year, back up there in the jungle, in Liberia, we moved down to the capital city of Monrovia. That's why we went to Liberia to begin with, is because we had schools up in the interior that took children to the sixth grade, and then they had to go to the capital city to finish their education. And we had no church there at all. And uh, they'd go to Sin City, and we'd lose them. And I said, man, that don't make sense. We have got to put a church in the capital city. And uh, I raised money for that church, uh, not realizing in any way that I'd be the one to go build it. But I sent that money to headquarters and said, let's stop this leak in Liberia. Let's put a church in the capital city. And uh, anyhow, we wound up being the one to do it. We built that church, and it would seat about 125, and we saw it full, and it was a beautiful little building. But today, now the little seed that we sowed, and we started that church in our living room, uh, in our home, but that church is running over 700 today, and it is one of 12 churches in the capital city. And we have uh, several grade schools, uh, high schools. We have 
a college. Uh, we have a Bible college. Uh, we have two clinics. We have a library. And uh, we're just touching so many different areas of people's lives there in Liberia. And we're over 25,000 strong in the country now. So uh, those days of small things, God has turned them into something wonderful, something big. Now, I was able to go back and visit uh, the church in Moline, Illinois, where we were pastoring when God put this on us and we decided that we would obey the Lord and, and go to the foreign field and really knew that it's what God wanted from our lives. Uh, we not only built the church there in Monrovia, but so many things happened. Now, while we were way up in the bush there, I had a baptizing one day. I had about 16 people in the little river that cut across the mission. And uh, all of a sudden, they sounded like a flock of ducks flying off of a lake. Just all the noise, they climbing out of that water and up on that bank and saying, Pa, you must come just now. Very bad snake. And I looked and here come an old snake, probably 10 foot long, on top of the water, meandering along. And I stood and watched him. I saw he wasn't looking at me, and he just went on past me. And I heard one of them say, Ha! The man can't scare for nothing. So anyhow, from that group of young men, I picked up a big rock and flung it over into the river. And it went kerplunk, and the rivulets come out around it all the way to the shore. And I said, you see that? Everything you do, there is a reaction from it. There is a rivulets that follow all the way. Everything you do, there's something comes from it. I said, if I'd have flung that rock in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the rivulets would soon have disappeared, but the effects of it would have went all the way to America and all the way to Africa. Well, war started uh, later in that country, and many of our young men uh, and people were made refugees and been able to come to the States. And from that group there way back in the jungle, from our school and our church, uh, those 16 that I baptized on that one day, and those young men that I talked to, they got together when they got to the States and said, ah, the rivulets have reached America. And now we must get on the old man's work here. And so from that, we have a church in Dallas, a Liberian church. It's actually in Euless, Texas. It's part of Dallas and Fort Worth. We have a church in California. We have a church in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, the church in Euless runs about 175. The one in Trenton runs about 60. I don't know about the one in California. But from that group of boys that I talked to that day, and I have to only say, thank you, Moline, Illinois. This is part of your work. This is what you helped us to accomplish. And then I went to Ghana and preached a crusade in Asamakasi. And in Ghana, uh, they came to me and said, Pastor Lata, 
the king of the Ashanti nation wants to talk to you. He wants to be baptized. And so we baptized, oh, 150, more than that probably, uh, in that crusade in Asamakasi. And uh, the king came to me, and he had his entire entourage. And he said, I've heard your preaching. I've heard the things that you teach, and I believe it. I accept it. I would like to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So I took him into the water, and I baptized the king of the Ashanti nation. I had to leave. I left Ghana. I never saw him again. But uh, this last year, my son-in-law had a crusade a conference in Athens, Greece. And the prince of the Ashantis was there. There was a gentleman in the meeting that said to the speaker, said, uh, Bishop, I believe your message, but I have not received the Holy Spirit, and neither have I been baptized. And he was told that we will baptize you before this meeting is over. And the prince wanted to know if he could accompany them to the baptismal exercises. And he was told he could. So time rocked on, and the day came, and they went into the water. And when he was baptized, he was told, upon confession of your faith and in obedience to the word of God, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the prince, standing there on the shore, began to dance and shout and sing and rejoice. And when they came out of the water, he said, Ah, oh, Bishop, I had no idea that you baptized in the name of Jesus. He was told that's the only way the Bible teaches it. And he said, uh, I had no idea you believed that. He said, well, who taught you about baptism in the name of Jesus? He said, oh, many years ago, a very young missionary baptized my father, the king of the Ashanti nation, in the name of Jesus. And God called my father to preach the gospel. And now my father has baptized more than 100,000 in the name of Jesus in the Ashanti nation in Ghana. And he was told, said, do you remember who that young missionary was? He said, oh, we will never forget him. His name was Samuel Latta. And the brother said, my God, man, I married his daughter. And so uh, what starts out as sometimes seemingly small, God can take it and blow on it, and it becomes something great. And I can only turn my attention again to Moline and say, thank you, Moline. Thank you, church. You made this possible. It was you that raised the money to build that church in Monrovia. Had it not been for that, these things would never have materialized and come to pass in our life. But it's all there because of a wonderful church that saw the need and gave and sacrificed and let their pastor go to obey the call of the Lord. I think we get discouraged many times and we don't see fruit right away. Mm. And, and, you know, kind of what you're talking about is, is long-term, is working it's the long-term. It's all long-term. It's all long-term. Uh, you don't plant corn and go out there the next day and reap. 
uh, and you don't go out there and dig it up every day to see if it's growing. You'll kill it. Leave it alone. Let the rain come. Let the sun come. It won't be many days till it'll stick the little blade out and say, praise the Lord, everybody, I'm here. Now, talk for a little bit about uh, the importance of of mentors and leaders in your life. One of the greatest influences in my life was my wonderful father. I had a dad that was one of the greatest men of God that I've ever known in my life. I remember some counsel that he gave me one time. He said, son, get a stronghold on God or the smallness of people will destroy you. You've got to get a hold of God and not allow negatives to influence you and affect your life. My dad was a strong influence in my life. He was such a kind person and so patient. S.G. Norris uh, from St. Paul, Minnesota, Apostolic Bible Institute, was a strong influence in my life. C.P. Williams, where I finished high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, strong influence, wonderful man of God, a missionary-minded person. Paul Price from Napa, California, was my latest mentor. He's the only one that's still living of the mentors that I have uh, sought counsel and advice in my life. They, they were men that made a great contribution in my life, and I sought out their counsel. I wanted it. Sister Latta, what about you? Uh, my folks, uh, my dad was my greatest mentor, I guess. My folks divorced when I was seven years old. My dad remarried and got back to the Lord. Uh, they were backsiders at one time. And he was determined to raise me and my sister for the Lord. So I got the Holy Ghost when I was nine years old. I fell in love with Jesus. And my dad was a great influence in my life. And then uh, later when I was a teenager, I had a lady pastor in Peoria, Illinois, Sister Barris, and she taught me how to pray. And later on, Sister Freeman, she taught me to praise God through anything. She'd say, Sister Lada, just praise God. Don't matter what you go through, just give Him praise. So I think those are the greatest influence I had. And then my sweet and wonderful sister, um, because our folks had divorced, she was older than me, and I looked up to her for a lot of things. She gave me a lot of strength in my life, and I greatly appreciate her. You know, I, I just can't, I, when I think of being in ministry, I can't get away from the fact that you have to have people in your life. Oh, yes. You, you cannot, you can't just say, well, I'm going to go off and, and do my own thing. There is no such thing as oh, doing your right. own thing. And other people follow you. Other people are looking at you. So you're responsible for them by the life you live. If you fail, it's going to cause them to be hurt and maybe fail as well because of you. So you got to think about others all your life. Well, there's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. One can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. And we can, when we are believing the same thing and feeling the same burden, and 
have the anointing of the Lord upon us, uh, there's nothing we can't accomplish. But we need one another. And when it comes to ministry, uh, we don't do anything to ourselves. If we're self-seekers, uh, we, we won't go very far. Actually, the word ministry actually means others. That we live for others. We don't live for ourselves. We live for others. We give to others. We work for others. It's not how we prosper. It's what we can do to change the lives of other people and prepare them to work for the Lord or work with the Lord and be involved in His work and serve Him. What advice can you give a young person that feels a call to ministry or feels like God maybe is leading them, just ministry in general and also missions, but, but just that general pull, I describe it as a, as a tug almost on your heart. What would you advise them to do as they're just starting out? Get close to your pastor. Share with him. Take his advice, his counsel. And uh, don't get anxious. And don't get discouraged. And get a real personal relationship with God. You're going to have to have that. There'll be times it's only you and the Lord. So uh, learn it early and seek the counsel of your leaders. They want to see you successful. Sometimes they'll give you counsel just to see what you'll do with it, just to try you. And that's all right. Take it. Take it. Go with it. And appreciate it because they do not want to see you fail. They are not against you. They are for you. And uh, when we get anxious and want to chomp at the bits and want to run, and it brings back an old story that I heard that helped me as a young man. I remember the story of two farmers. And it was harvest time, and one of them, grabbed his mowing scythe and headed out into the field. And the other one took his mowing scythe down and sat down and took a file. And he worked on the blade. And he sharpened it. And he spent more than a couple of hours putting an edge on that scythe. And when he got done, the other guy was way on out in the field. But when he sharpened his scythe, and went into the field. It wasn't long until he passed the other guy up. And he was ahead of him because he took the time to prepare himself for the task that was before him. We just don't jump out there. We need counsel. We need guidance. And uh, we need the help of others. Nobody's an island. You can't do it all by yourself. We've got to have the help of our brothers and our sisters. And most of all, a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to have that more than anything else. Sister Lana? Well, you just have to stay close to God and pray every day and read His Word, and He will direct you by His Word. And He's got His own way of letting you know when you're following His path and 
if you get out of line, he knows how to bring you back in line. He sure does. And you're willing to take his uh, instruction, not try to do things your own way. And just, you know, stay close to the Lord and believe that whatever he's got for you to do, he will go with you. He'll go ahead of you, and he will come behind you. And whatever need you have, he says, consider the lilies. They don't even toil or spin. So we just have to depend on God. I mean, we lost everything once in a tornado. Later on, we was in a church fire and almost died in the fire. So we don't hold on to things like that's our um, <clears throat> possession, but it all belongs to God anyway. And just, uh, you know, sometimes you have to agree with somebody else. I've always told the ladies that I've taught that at home, our electricity is 110. Overseas, it's 220. So when you pray by yourself, you're plugging into 110. But if you've got a need, you agree with somebody, you're plugging into 220, and you've got more power than you realize you did. And so we're laborers together, and I've seen it happen. In fact, uh, when we went to Atlanta, Georgia, and took a church nobody wanted, and was there about a year and a half, things were going good, is when an arsonist got in the building and set fire to the building. But before that happened, a lady in the church came to me and said her husband was unsaved and he was going to kick her out of the house on Friday. We joined hands and agreed together. Lord, let something happen before Friday. Thursday is when the church burned to the ground. And uh, the man got so scared he never said nothing else about kicking her out. So it shows you can agree with somebody. I said, I know God answers by fire, but I was not expecting that. But so many things happen down through life, and it's just miracle after miracle, and you know how real God is. I'm uh, developing a new ministry now, and uh, it is a seminar that the American church really does need to hear, and young preachers really need it. And... Uh, I call it, same thing I called it overseas, able ministers of the New Testament. A minister is not necessarily a preacher. A minister is someone that helps others. And uh, his life reaches out to other people. He may never preach the gospel, but he can minister to those around him. And uh, there's such a need for that. My first lesson is on soul winning. And my approach to soul winning is so different from what I have seen over the years. Um, I'm not against knocking doors, but I don't like knocking doors. I don't like it. I don't like people knocking on my door unless I know them. But you can go out and knock doors till you bruise your knuckles. And most of the time you'll find somebody wants you to pay their school bill, make their car note, their house payment, and could care less about God. But my ad idea is, James said, first of all, that's top priority. That's head of everything else. First of all, prayer, supplication, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men. Why? Verse 4, because God would have all men saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. What is that saying? That's saying if we will get in touch with God, God will put us in touch with man. 
Second Kings says, for God alone, there's another one. He's the only one, nobody else. God alone. Not you, me, nobody else. Only God knows the hearts of all the children of men. There's not a person in this city that sighs in their spirit and says, oh, I wish I knew what was right. They've got God's attention. Problem is, too many people trying to work for the Lord, and he hadn't called anybody to work for him. We're called to work with him. We're laborers together with Christ. You can get all bent out of shape, get a bad attitude, get a nasty spirit working for Jesus. I think Martha was a good example of that. She got all bent out of shape because Mary wasn't coming in there helping her cook something for the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, Mary's chosen the good part and she's not going to be dragged away from it. Martha, Martha, you're comforted about many things. He didn't scorn her. He didn't rebuke her. He lovingly corrected her. And we need to realize that he knows every heart. I don't know where they are. I can run and knock every door in town. I still may not find who they are, but God knows exactly where they are. And the way it works for me, I can be driving down the street and the Lord tell me, go in there. And I pull off my car, my trailer, go in there and walked in a pawn shop one time God sent me into in Oklahoma City. And walked in the front door and a guy behind the counter said, or pointed his finger at me and said, are you a man of God? I said, yes, sir. He said, I knew it. When I saw you pull in the parking lot, something told me, now there's a man that can help me. He said, I'm in the university. I'm studying 10 living religions. What do you think of that? I said, I wouldn't offend you, but I hate every religion on the face of the earth. I believe every one of them come out of hell. Religion is man groping after God. But I'm going to tell you something about God reaching for man. That's what it's all about. I was with him two hours. He saw truth. At the end of two hours, I'm about ready to pack up and go. And the door opens and in comes a lady and six kids. It's his wife. He said, come here, baby, sit down here. I want you to tell her everything he told me. I just spent two hours with him. I spent another two hours with her, four hours. And the preacher that I was on my way over across town to see, at the end of it, he said, who can we get to baptize us like this? I see this. I called Brother Bill Sherrill in Oklahoma City. I said, Bill, I'm not going to make it over there, but I want you to come right here. I got eight brand new people for your church. They're ready to be baptized now. I didn't know them from a bar or so, but God knew them. And I was close enough to hear his voice. Philip the evangelist had a red-hot revival going in Samaria. God said, shut her down. Come down here along the road, there's a chariot coming. And a guy in there needs to talk to you. He got on board, he's reading Isaiah. Philip preached to him Jesus from the book of Isaiah. And he preached to him water baptism out of the book of Isaiah. God didn't want to argue, debate. He said, oh, here's water. Let's do it now. Philip didn't say, oh, no, we won't baptize until the third Friday of every month. 
He went down the water. Philip didn't know that guy from a bar or so. But God knew him, and Philip knew God. And that's what soul winning is all about. He would not that any should perish. And it's his church. And he is building his church. Not my church. I'm not building my church. I'm trying to obey him and work with the Lord and be obedient. I could tell you a lot of stories of where God leads us to people. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys uh, being able to take the time to do this, and I, I don't want to go too long here, but but I wonder if, if Berlada and then Sister Lada, if you could just take a minute and just pray for that young person right now, that, that young person that maybe 18 to 30, somewhere in that age group, but they're feeling like God has... Uh, God's dealing with them and in their relationship with God and their prayer, they feel like God is, is moving them towards something big. Would you just take a minute and pray for them? Holy God, we approach you as humbly as we know how. And we come in behalf of every young person that you've ever spoke to about your work. Help them, Lord, to know that it is your spirit that they need to be filled with, that the Holy Ghost will overflow in their lives, that they will draw near unto you and get in the Word and just, as someone said, wallow in the Word and let the Word become a part of their life. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I pray that you will lift them up and encourage them, give them boldness and understanding, and help them to love truth. Help them, Lord, to love the Word and not become enticed by the world and the things that they see and all the charismatic spirits that's running wild and, and leading people far away from God. But, Lord, that they will love truth and love holiness and righteousness and separation from the world for you have declared come out from among them and be ye separate and I will be your God and you shall be my people come out from among them and be separate let us be a separate people let us love you and serve you and cling to you with all of our heart in Jesus name direct their steps Talk to them in the night, O oh Lord, in their sleep. Talk to them through experiences, Lord, in the day. Use them, O oh God. Lead them to hungry hearts that they might win someone to you. Give them souls, Lord, because that's the greatest pay we could ever have. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that there are young people in this world that want to live for you with all their hearts that want to see others saved. I pray you will encourage them and let them know that all things are possible to those that believe. If they'll just put their hand in your hand, you're going to lead them no matter where it is. It might be across the ocean or it might be next door. But give them a hunger in their heart and a compassion for others that they will feel the needs of other people. And you can open doors ahead of them, Lord, and just let them walk through it. But let them be ready at all times. The Word says to give an answer at all times because of the hope that lies within you. 
Yes. And so I pray you'll bless and anoint each one, Lord, that they'll have their own personal walk with you. And whenever they're called upon to answer and stand up for you, they'll be bold enough to do it. And most of all, Lord, that they will stay in touch with you every day, fall in love with you, and make you first in their lives, and love others for you. And that's the true joy, is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And if you'll do that, you'll be ready to meet the Lord when He comes, and you'll have souls to lay at His feet. The Bible says, if you turn many to righteousness, you'll be as the stars forever and ever. I pray, Lord, blessings on each one and let them just know that you care about them. You will never forget them. You will never forsake them. But you will be with them every step of the way of their life. And they will rejoice in days to come. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a ministry mentorship podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this recording by going to ministrymentorship.com where you can find other valuable information for developing your ministry. Also, connect with us on Facebook or leave a message and let us know what you think about this podcast. Thanks for listening.